If you were here with us last week, it's a weekly series that we're doing on both YouTube Live and Twitter Spaces. And we're going to do our best to just better understand what's happening with our investments and are we making the right decisions? So some of the topics we're going to cover today, Xander made a recent trade. He made a some sort of option move, and I don't even know what it is yet. And we're going to find out why he did that, uh, what he did. What percentage of cash of your portfolio should be in cash on hand at any one time? How do we know that Tesla is actually considered to be low risk or recession proof? I'd like to find out more about that. And what's the actual lowest price that Tesla can actually go? As of what we know today, what's the stock price that we think that Tesla should not go down any further than that? So somewhere halfway through, we're going to have a new guest bull joining us. So that's Jeffrey Lutz. He's going to share information and tell us a little bit more about this Inflation Reduction Act that we just had. And then if we have time, there's going to be a new segment, The Matador. Well, who's The Matador? It's Elon. So how much do you think Elon actually affects the movement of the stock? And this Twitter overhang has been hanging for a, a little bit too long. And then if we have time, I'd love to share more information about margin loans and all that inf great information about how to get low interest rates on margin loans and how to do it safely. So... As a reminder, we are three bulls and uh, we all have our own philosophies and different about investing. And then I should point out that we're actually friends. <laughs> so, you know, occasionally we might make fun of each other. And some people were telling me that last week um, uh, I was being a little bit, uh, uh, I was being a little bit rough. And so <laughs> to be sure, I'll tone it down a little bit, but rest assured, no one was harmed in last week's episode. All right, Christian. <laughs> okay. You're okay. Good. good. <laughs> All right. So let's get started. Christian Valente. You can follow him on Twitter at C Valente. Uh, he's a retired ex-financial advisor, and he's what we call the stoic bull. Believes in momentum investing. Xander Sky. So Xander <clears throat> is a YOLO bull. You can follow him on Twitter at R6 Alex. And uh, there's me. I, I like to call myself the forever bull. I find a stock, I stick with it forever. So that's who we are, and. So let's get started with you, um, Xander. You said that you made a, a some sort of big trade last week. What was that? What was that all about? <laughs> oh, I gotta ask you as a speaker. There you go. Um, thanks for uh, having me. Um, uh, love doing these things. <laughs> Big trade. Uh, I actually didn't go through with it. So uh, I had a topic that uh, Christian and I covered, and uh, I imagine uh, other people were thinking it as well. Seeing that we're ripping up, uh, it's hard to not want to sell the rip, especially in this trader's market. So uh, I contemplated uh, selling off all of my losing shares um, and and riding the market uh, down a little bit. But uh, considering that the stock split is going to happen and then we might have a, um, a uh, credit upgrade, I decided against it. So um, that was the... The, the thinking behind it um, and Christian could add uh, to some of the feedback uh, he gave me. 
So you didn't go through with it. Okay. I did not. I did not. I, I almost did. Uh, and even yesterday I had a sale for the corporate shares uh, that I oversee to uh, sell it at 914.69. And then at 9.13, it was such a nice wave up. I just canceled it. And of course it went to 9.15 and change and then turned around and went back down. And then today we saw 8.40. So I actually picked up some more shares uh, for the corporate account. Um, you know, I like to, for the last couple of weeks, um, I've been selling uh, the rips and buying the dips and just doing that and just scalping, you know, a 5,000, uh, sorry, a thousand, five hundred dollars to a thousand or, or so uh, with uh, with a little bit of change. Yeah. Well, one thing I really like about you is that you've been saying that you actually are to keep yourself accountable. You write everything down and you actually yeah. publicly announce some of them because you want to be sure that you're being, you can track everything and you're going to see whether or not your strategy is working. Right. <laughs> yeah. I think it's very important to be honest with yourself. And, uh, you know, we tend to, uh, remember the wins and and forget the forget the losses and brag about uh, the wins i tend to um spend as much time bragging about the losses or the bad moves that i make and uh having someone like christian to bounce ideas off of has been um transformative to my investment style i've just uh, changed how i think about things and uh, it's really helped so Christian, were you the one that talked them into trying to decide to sell some of the Tesla stock or the other way around, talked them out of it? <laughs> no, he, he approached me and he had spoken about um, possibly doing this. And um, I told him, are you sure? Because, you know, his old strategy was he was long and he was, you know, going to ride it out and there was no selling of shares and this is going to the moon. And that was his original approach as he, he spoke about last week. Um, and I kind of just, the way I approach it is more, you know, conservatively and not everything is going to the moon and there's periods to be aggressive and there's periods to take some chips off the table, as you know. So I guess I've kind of rubbed off on him and he's kind of <laughs> thinking more my way rather than just, you know, everything, the stock market only goes up, you know, the old thing, <laughs> the memes and stocks only go up. He's looking at it more from a approach of, well, let me really think about this. Let me look, think about valuation. Let me think about, you know, what is the Fed doing? So he's incorporating different things into his modeling um, to be a better investor. So I, I think that's great growth. And I, I love to see it. But if, well you, if you had sold it, Xander, you would have made you would have done well because it stock fell significantly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It would have uh, it would have worked out. Um, that, and that was the, the, the bet, but, um, you know, the, the, the long-term thinking, uh, makes it that it, it's the risk isn't worth, uh, the reward. Um, and, you know, I have tax consequences. So that was something that I really needed to factor in. And, um, yeah, so, uh, so it, it would have worked, um, because the, the game, you know, it would have been a tax lo loss harvest, uh, which is, that was my goal with the, the thinking there. And, I, I couldn't buy shares for 30 days. So what really made it was the, the stock split and, um, and then this credit upgrade. I just, you know, you were seeing numbers like, you know, Shanghai getting to September, like a 96,000 run rate with like 3,200 cars. And, and it, it's just, I, I think at some point, 
they're going to have to upgrade it. It's just been way too long. So uh, th those oh. that, that was the major consideration. So right. I just don't want to miss that that rally, uh, which which you know the stock is feels depressed. We're just waiting for macro to really clear out. You know, there's a lot of talk about it being a uh, um, you know a bull trap and and just a bear market rallies. Yeah. So you do see the investment grade credit rating as a catalyst. So thank you for that. And so Christian, oh, yeah. the economy, what's going on? What's happening tomorrow? And when so, are people yeah. feeling good about the macro, isn't it? Or something wild's going to happen? I th I, I'm more positive about the market, but there's still a lot of people in the market that are, are negative. Um, CPI is tomorrow. That's going to be huge. Inflation needs to come down. If we get a print and it's, it's over expectations, the market's probably going to sell off. Um, we've been dealing with this for a while, so I don't know how bad the reaction will, but I'm expecting that print to come better than expected, and I think the market will rally on that. As far as Tesla goes, this is, for me, again, we've been doing these Twitter spaces for weeks. This is not the time to be scared. We've already had a major correction in Tesla stock. Again, just not, not to repeat, but we're going into what we think is a record Q3 and 4. So to me... Even despite of the macro, I don't know why you would sell into this moment with the credit upgrade, with the stock split. There's just so many good things. And Tesla's business is hitting on all cylinders, like Xander said, with record Shanghai, you know, production, um, possibly 80,000. And then like, yeah, September could even be more, maybe closer to 100,000. You got Fremont, Elon tweeting, you know, Fremont is kicking blank, you know, a good thing. So, you know, there he a shout out to Fremont, which he doesn't normally do. It's always Shanghai. So that's a great sign. And and we got the other two factories. So it's just it's just so much going on. Uh, you know, I use these dips like we came into this this mid 80s again. I'm adding some shares. So I'm not looking to sell here. I'm looking to accumulate for that next big run um, into the trillion dollar market cap. So that, that's what I'm looking at. And I'm, I'm excited. Can you just explain to me specifically, because I don't really know very well. Tell me about the consumer price index happening tomorrow. What is that print? And what did you mean by if it comes in overexpected, it actually is going to cause the stock, the, the market to react badly. What I thought would be the opposite, right? So tell me, explain that. Right. To me. So the CPI is basically, um, it's basically an inflation gauge, consumer price. And basically, it's month to month. So okay. we're looking at expectations from the previous month. Okay. Oil has come down. So we're hoping, we actually have to see it though, right? We, we know commodities have come down. We know oil has come down. We know gas at the pump has come down. But now we want to see it, right? We want to believe it with our eyes. So mm -hmm. we want the print tomorrow to mm -hmm. be under what the market thinks. So mm -hmm. if it's, inflation is worse mm -hmm. and we've seen oil come down, that would be a head scratcher, right? So we want the number to come down and the lower, the better because inflate, if inflation is coming down, that means the Fed has to do less because the job of raising rates is working. It's slowing down uh, inflation. It's slowing down the consumer. So the thinking is the Fed has to do less raising of interest rates, which helps the stock market because the consumer's not so crimped. So basically that's what we're looking out for tomorrow, 8.30, that will hit. And I think if we have a good number, that's also good for gross, gross stocks. So that's what it means. It's basically what does the CPI print have to do with inflation's expectations going forward? So if you see a real great number, that's great for the markets. Okay. And then explain to me this term beta. 
I've uh, Jeffrey has explained this to me a bit last time, which is that Tesla is one of the tech companies that is a beta stock. So it uh, overreacts compared to normal stocks, both down and up. So when the market is doing well, like tomorrow, if they if everybody starts feeling that the economy is finally out of the inflationary runaway inflation and the rates won't be as as bad and we're people are now even even Elon, right? Didn't he just last week say that he thinks that we're going to be in a mild recession for the next 18 months, but it'll be mild. So that's gives permission for the economy to people feel good about investing again because Tesla is a beta stock it should overreact on the upside like two times more than other as, as everybody goes up. Is that right? Explain that. A little right. Bit. So the way you look at it and just real quick point to Elon, he also said commodities are starting to roll over. So that was a good sign that since Tesla is so involved with so many different things with, you know, uh, battery sourcing minerals, he sees so much. He said he sees inflation coming down. So that's a good macro bit. The beta part of it, basically for the audience, it's real simple. Yeah. Say beta is uh, Tesla's a beta of like two to the market. So if the S&P is up 1%, the saying goes that maybe Tesla should be up 2%. It doesn't work exactly because Tesla's its own animal. Sometimes the market could be down 3% and Tesla's up 5%. You know, sometimes it basically just means that Tesla moves more than usually the S&P 500 does or say the triple Qs in either direction. But, you know, depending good news comes out, that, that can be thrown out the window. So you're right, if the market does start to catch and the S&P starts to rip up 10%, say that over the next, uh, into the year end, the S&P is up 10 to 15%. Odds are Tesla's probably up 30, 35%, 40%, because you're right, of the growth and the outsized move compared to the S&P. So right, if the market gets its legs, they're not worried about inflation, the Fed goes to the side, Tesla stock should do really well. And don't forget the fundamentals, record Q3 and 4, record EPS, record revenue, record everything. It's going to be great. Yeah. So, so Xander, yeah. Um, what do you think, like, if there's a move of the money to tech stocks, but many of the tech stocks are damaged, like, I don't want to put my money in Facebook or Amazon or Google. Would that mean that more people are willing to put their money in Tesla or it doesn't work that way? <laughs> um, I think when you have these companies that are quote damaged as you <laughs> called it, it, it it's um it, it's an opportunity so you you see you see companies rip up 50 percent on on some kind of guidance that uh or or on earnings that are better than what the expectations are so i don't know if that specifically means that uh people will buy tesla but the investor that is still a little skittish and worried about uh you know, further downside, they're going to look for companies that uh, have growth and have putting up big earnings. So th that's, uh, that's how I think about it. Okay. Wonderful. So last week, um, Christian, you had said that in your strategy, in your philosophy, what makes you feel good at night is you have a certain percentage of your portfolio in cash. You called it, uh, what did you call it, Tinder? <laughs> uh, <laughs> so that you, Kindling? You buying power, essentially. <laughs> but so there's a, so some of that cash you want ready to invest when you feel like it's a proper time to invest. But some of that you want to feel safe, correct? So what percentage, again, nobody's here making financial advice, but for you, what do you think is a proper per percentage that you should keep as cash on hand compared to your value of your portfolio? So, so that's a great question. So everybody's different with this. This is here, the way I do it. 
So I always like to have some cash. Usually if you're in a bull market, you know, you don't want to hold too much cash because obviously the market's ripping up and you want to be participating in it. But the market doesn't always go up. There's downturns. So depending on what your situation is, if you already have a huge amount of capital in, you might, when, if you think the market is going to take a downturn, and especially maybe a big one, if you're in a big growth stock that's had a huge run, you might want to take some chips off the table. So if that stock comes in, you're able to buy it. So you rough, uh, you know, I've had cash positions up to 50, 60 percent. Right now, my cash position is probably, you know, it's lower. It's probably in the in the 10 to 15 percent area. Just and was it just I, was it at 100 yeah. percent uh, recently, Christian? Well, probably I mean, zero. It. And it, was it at zero at one point? Yeah. So at, at, at one point that I had so much cash, 90 percent plus <laughs> kind of when the Fed started and we started to roll over. I started selling because I wanted as much cash to buy what we are seeing now with mm -hmm. Tesla in the 600s, you know, Google came in, I, you know, so just different stocks, even the, even the regular indexes, I put some money to like the triple Q's. So yes, it, it gives you, so as the stock's coming down, if you're all in and, and Herbert, you can maybe attest to this or give your experience. If you're, <laughs> if you have a stock <laughs> and it's down and you're holding it and you have a huge position on it and it's down 50%, and you have no money or essentially very little money because your yeah. position to the money you can put in is very small. <laughs> yeah. You're sitting there like a, like a, like a duck. You're just getting yeah. rammed and you're, you know, you had, say you had 500,000. Now you got 250 and you can't buy the dip. So, you know, it's a little bit of a trader mentality, but it feels good to know, okay, I may, you know, this is after a run up. Let me take some chips off and it may not, it may go against you because it may continue to run up, but, but you've done well. So the idea is you have buying power on the side. So if the stock or, or the index or whatever you're doing comes in, you have firepower to buy those cheaper shares for which then they go up higher. You're going to make that much more return rather than just sitting there taking the 50% decline. Then it needs to go up 100%, literally double just for you to get back to even. So I don't like that strategy. So, so I Christian, like to be able to buy dips. My question was, were you at 0% cash? Uh, recently, and did oh, you yeah. raise some cash? So, Can you speak yeah, on that so, a little bit? I think it's good for people to hear. Yeah. So we've had a market run. So this is me. You know, I, I was in the market. I was adding, adding, adding as we were as we were bottoming, and I felt more bullish. I was buying. So I got to the point where I had very little cash, almost no cash, because I was all in. Now the market took a little bit of a turn. So as I saw that little bit of a turn. Since I don't, you know, didn't have a lot of my money then and whatever more money I, is going to be very, you know, small compared to what's already in there. I, again, this is in a retirement account, so there's no tax consequence. I liquidated some positions in order for me, if there is a downturn, that I can buy that dip. Now, here's the difference. If the market doesn't downturn, because I don't know exactly what's going to happen. It's my hunch. But if it doesn't and it keeps going up higher, remember, I'm already in. I didn't liquidate the whole thing. I just took maybe, you know, a 10, 15, 20% position of cash to buy dips. So if I'm wrong and there's not much of a dip and it keeps going, then the other position will, you know, do very well. And I could always add that money back in at, at another time. So, so that's the way I think about it. And that's, that's my approach. And when did you do that? Last month you're talking about this? Um, I did this. No, I did this like in the last week. Well, I've been doing, I do it all the time, but I've been doing it about the last week. Whoa, your audio is switching up. We can't hear you, Christian. Oh, can you hear? So yeah. I, I've been doing this last week, um, wow. th this specific thing that I was doing. But wow. I'm always kind of trading around the edges like, like Xander spoke about. But 
But I did this particular thing in the last week when Tesla, I thought on Friday, Tesla would continue to go and it didn't quite work out that. Remember we had that bad day. So yeah. I just, I, I had done very well because we were buying in the sixes and the sevens. So I just took a piece of that and some other stuff, some, some index stuff like triple Q's just to raise some cash in case, you know, the inflation reports not so good, or, you know, maybe, you know, this is a bear market rally because no one knows. So, you know, it, if you're already all in and there is some type of downturn, you know, and you hold it for two to three days and maybe you get a massive five, 10, 15% decline, you know, you'd rather be buying that than just sitting through that and you, you don't have any more money to deploy. So, okay. yeah. Christian, well, do you, do you, yeah. do you end up buying leaps um, with that money or do you uh, do sh straight shares? Right. For now, I've been doing um, straight shares, but I know the strategy you taught Herbert. I've also I do have leaps in Tesla that I've been holding that I bought when Tesla was in the 600. So I'm I'm not really playing with those. I'm letting that play out. Let that story play out. You know, they're profitable. I could have took some profit on those, but then you're just playing a game with them, buying them back and they're not as liquid as shares. So, you know, you got to get the price right because sometimes there's big spreads. You know, there's not much trading. So. Those I'm just leaving and I'm doing the bet kind of Herbert, like they're June 2024s and they're basically, you know, a thousand strikes. So my bet is, do I believe Tesla will be a thousand dollars by June 2024? <laughs> yeah. I think it will be much higher than that. And, and, th and those leaps will do very well. Those long term call options for those at home, they'll do well. So I'm not really kind of messing with those. Okay. Yeah, this is this is how I felt because uh right, I am a long-term holder. I bought as much as I can. I put as much ca uh, I have only cash to protect myself as a safety net, but not as what you call what is it? dry tinder to be able to invest when the price falls. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Just cash I, on the sideline, buying power. Yeah. Dry, it's, dry it's, powder. It's dry, dry powder. powder. Dry powder. I'm yeah. sorry, guys. <laughs> Tinder, I, I, I'm thinking of, of uh, Warren. A dating on, app. A dating <laughs> app. Not a dating app. Dry powder. Okay, that's the right dry word. Warning. See, I don't even know the term because I don't don't believe in that philosophy. So I'm learning. Okay, I'm learning. And so yeah. uh, I uh, Xander taught me about long-term leaves. We talked about last space and last uh, episode. And I did so, that. So before before you continue, uh, I wanted to close that thought. I think it's important because it goes to what exactly what you're about to say, or what you what you were uh, touching on. The idea behind uh, buying uh, leaps when you're when you're super low, yeah, yes, you can go the full distance and like wait wait a year, especially if it's in a taxable account. That is a great strategy. Um, but but if you're if you're thinking that you, you you're reaching local local highs, um, it might be a good idea to flip that back into shares. And then if it goes down, it goes down slowly. Uh, but if it goes up, you're 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 de-risking uh, in, in that regard. So yeah. yeah, I hope that made sense. Okay. So what I was saying was that I'm long-term investor. I don't do any of these things. And then Xander taught me a little bit. I dipped a little bit into it. Okay. Now I have FOMO and I, 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 you, you, you caused a lot of pain in me, uh, Christian, because I did watch the stock fall, right? I put in a lot of money when it, it fell from 1200 to 1000. I switched all my Apple at that point, uh, which was what February, Mar March of this year. And then I held it and then I watched it fall to 600, 650. And you're going, I'm going to now buy, buy, buy. And I'm like, I don't have anything, Darren. <laughs> Caused yeah. me pain. But so, yeah, that's how I feel. But at the end of the day, I can't feel this way. I cannot feel 
regret or concern or market fluctuations affecting my emotion. So that's why I kind of lashed out at you last <laughs> last episode, because it's a little bit of this, you're dang right. You are right. You are smarter than me. You did the right thing. Um, but I just got to stick to it and think three years, five years from now, don't play the game. I'm fine. Like you said, if, if, if everything goes up to the way we think it's going to be in three to five years, all these little maneuvers you guys are making... Well, okay, I don't want to do it. I, yeah, you're right. <laughs> it could be huge. It could be huge. Yeah, but, huge. Yeah. <laughs> it, it could be a big thing, right? Because if you're getting in at 600 and yeah, it went yeah. to say 1200, well, I made 100% of my money yeah. and your thousand to 1200, you made 20% on your money. So okay, you can see, and it, so, but, but, but he, let me, let me just say this one thing. <laughs> it's not about being smarter. I wasn't smarter and you're not, uh, not smart. That's, that's not the thing. Long term investing, you're going to do great. The thing, the thing is, if for me, like I said, I, I've been preaching this. I can't sit through 50, 60, 70% drawdowns. It's just not my nature. So especially after, like I said, we've had a huge run from, from you know, like we did the 20X. So in, in that particular stock. But even if like the, like the, the triple Q, say that was up 200%, you know, over, over a five-year period or something. Like there's nothing wrong with taking some chips off the table and waiting for, for, for better prices, especially if you know some macros coming. And again, I can't time it perfect, but there's nothing wrong with some, some dry powder on the sidelines. Yeah, okay, but I, the way I explained it to my family, <laughs> when the price falls that much, right? It's like people are gonna ask, how do you feel and what's going on? Well, the way I think of it was, well, hey, come on, let's not forget that we started, I'll just throw up some numbers. I started when it was at, $30. Now it became $300. Now it became a right. thousand. Oh no, it's now down to 600. Oh my God, that's a 50% reduction. You know, you can't think this way. You can't Correct. think this way. Yes. Just no. got to just move it forward. But, yeah. But okay. Yeah. Do you have, you know, if you don't have any new money to invest, right, then, then this is where the conversion into something like a leap makes sense when when you're when you when you're right. really when you're really high up um it, it, when the market's excited right those those implied volatility on those options goes through the roof so it's a great idea to trim that switch yeah. it switch switch it into shares and then if it falls then you convert back right this 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 makes the a options. lot of sense yeah, yeah into, into well like t like 10 percent of your portfolio right so even if you make a mistake you're not crippled but converting it down uh, converting when you're that low it felt weird right it felt weird but net net you're you're up you're up you're up quite a bit so that that's where if you don't have new money to invest you want to have um, some kind of strategy for have some cash so that even if you you know and sell selling a portion of your portfolio off might make sense because then you can um, when it when it dips low if you don't have any any leaps you buy a leap and then when 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 the market recovers you know you're you're, you're accelerating so if it, it feels good psychology is great right because your your portfolio in the grand scheme of things uh, ends up growing and and you're able to buy the dip which feels great Okay, let's let's answer the question that I asked. So, what percentage of your ca of your portfolio should be in cash at any one time in order to do the not tender, what is it called dry dry, dry powder, powder. <laughs> dry powder? So go ahead. Christian, you've been on your... that app too much, Herbert. <laughs> dry powder. Uh, 
Christian, what's the percentage that you would have? So your portfolio, it varies. Like we said, I, I was close to being all. Yeah, it's very it varies scary. because I've been up to well, yeah. close to 100 percent at some uh -huh. points. Uh -huh. I've been at five percent. Um, it depends in where I feel the market cycle is. But right now, I would say I'm bullish. Yeah. So I would have less cash, if that makes sense. So I'm probably in this 20, maybe 15 to 20 percent area for now. Okay. Yeah. And I think it really depends on the size of your portfolio of um, to 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 determine how much. Right. Because you could do, uh, you know, if you have a, a multi-million dollar portfolio, um, you could. 10% is a lot. You could buy a lot of leaps at, at, at 10, you know, with 10% cash. But if you're in a hundred thousands or, or, or tens of thousands, it, the, the math is different. But I think it's really dependent on the circumstances, right? Like yeah. if you see you're, you're in a bear market, it's probably a good idea to raise or you're heading into one or potentially right. into one. Yeah. You want to start raising cash. And that that's my greatest takeaway is, you know, I've only seen yeah. the, the bull market. So then it's like, oh, well, I really wish I would have raised some cash uh, prior to, you know, uh, ignoring the, the, the hopium, right? In, in continuing yeah. to see that, oh, maybe we'll turn around. Maybe we'll turn around. Well, at some point, just raise a little bit. And, and real quick, that, that's a great point, Xander. This is, this is the trick. And it's a hard trick, but this is the trick. When you raise the cash, you don't wait for the bear market and you're down 20, 30% in panic because you're going down 50, 60%. No. The time to raise the cash is from a position of strength when you've ran at higher prices. You don't want to sell after it's occurred and panic sell it down mm -hmm. and raise cash. No, no, no. But, but you needed that. That's where the discipline comes in because no one wants to sell when the thing's rocketing because they think the greed factor comes in. It's going to rocket some more and I don't want to miss it. That's where you have to discipline yourself and say, we've just had, you know, a 40% move in a month. And, and I think we've had moves like that, or, yeah. you know, we've doubled, you know, in, in three months. So that's where you want to chop it and wait, not, you know, now you're down 30%. Oh my God, we're going to the end of the world and let me sell. Wrong, wrong strategy. And Tesla does that too, right? Is when they were raising capital um, before when they needed to, yeah. they they were raising it when you know, and that was actually putting in the top was was when they would um, dilute shareholders and, and and raise some capital. The but they're doing it was hot. Right when it's high, so so <laughs> right. the same so you idea. Dilute last. You dilute yeah, last. And, yeah, yeah, and you'll miss you'll miss some of the upside because you can't time it perfectly. But the the, the point is, if if you're doing it, uh, especially if you're converting something like a leap that has a high implied volatility, then you're you know you're actually you're you're banking some a, a good amount, right? You want to sell leaps on the way up, not not once once they turn around and start falling. And same thing with the selling a put. You want to sell it as the price is falling, where you think it's going to bottom out. That that's the strategy with with options. Yeah. So, and, and I just want to say something real quick, Herbert. Um, this is just my strategy, and I know there's a lot of Tesla people out there, and they don't sell shares, and they add, and they never sell. And I get it; they're in it for the long term. I totally respect that. Uh -huh. I love those people; they're the best. <laughs> Thank but you. What, this is just my commentary on it, and um, you know, like I said, so it's just the best strategy is what is one is the one that works for you that you yeah. can sleep oh. with. Yeah. I think the secret of everything is actually we position ourselves as three different bulls with three different investing strategy, but the reality is. I am learning from two of you and I'm going to mix and match. And I'm sure you are, you're all bingo. You know. Yeah, you got it. So I, I think one thing that you need to, I need to understand is my, my philosophical, uh, emotional, right. Uh, uh, 
uh, what was it called? The, you know, the, the, the uh, my emotional makeup. And you said it earlier, some people are hurt and pain when this, when they lose money versus the potential, if something gained and you didn't get it, which one are you more hurt by? And I'm probably the one where I, I, I'm not as hurt by the fall. <laughs> it's painful, but it's not as painful as I didn't make a gain. <laughs> you're, you're the opposite, Herbert. They've done yeah. studies on this and they've yeah. shown that a right. loss is right. more impactful to someone yes. than the gain. The gain is not as exciting as the loss hurts them. So yeah. you're mm -hmm. actually different from yes. what the study shows. Because people I hate losses and the gain, they go, well, of course I, I want it to go up. So it, it's not that exciting, but they hate losing money. People hate losing money. Yeah. I'm an <laughs> optimist. I like to, I think things are going to work out great in the future. That's how I look things. Um, okay. They will. So let's, let's uh, next, the big topic of what, you know, when we type this whole thing is how do we know that Tesla is low risk? In the last episode, Xander, you, you said, just threw it in there and you said, well, because Tesla is the, what did you call it? The great, the most risk adjusted investment ever. What, what did you mean by that? Um, yeah, thanks for thanks for noticing. Uh, it's it's just <laughs> when you compare it to uh, any any equity out there, or um, you know, or an index fund, in terms of uh, you know, potential earnings, right? You see, you see these growth companies uh, like Palantir, right? It's considered a, a growth company and people are investing into that. And then you, you look at um, their, their growth and what their actual earnings are or lack thereof. Um, you end up with, with, with just like a, it's a bad investment. Um, there's too much risk. They can go bankrupt. Their competition can come like all, all of the things that we hear about uh, spoken about Tesla you you look at it is like are you investing in one company or are you investing in this this uh, energy business and this insurance business and uh, you know all of this other stuff besides cars and uh, so so yeah when you when you look at the numbers and you look at what they're actually delivering uh, once that bankruptcy risk is is gone and you know they have cash in 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 the bank uh, you know they have a war chest they don't have any debt. You, you start analyzing those things. How do you how do you put your money anywhere else? Um, like we, we mentioned lemonade uh, last time. Like I, I've I've been you know I'm licking my my my, my chops here uh, watching this thing and uh, listening to Christian uh, doing his victory lap. So uh, it's 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 you know like it has a lot of potential. So at some point when when I see that there isn't a, a, a bankruptcy risk uh, with with that kind of company, uh, which I'm starting to see uh, as I do more research, um, you know, p potentially you start you you start allocating a little bit of funds there. But for me, it's just this is the psychology differences. I'm a hundred percent all in Tesla. How do I how do I go away from that? Right? It's just like you. Uh, I'm I never sell. How do you? pivot that it's it's uh it's a difficult thing so uh but but back to your question i think it's just uh if you analyze the risks uh versus the reward it's it's the greatest one that that that, that i've seen you know it's a generational kind of company that has the uh biggest upside i hope i'm answering your question i'd love to hear what christian thinks yeah. about yeah. Uh, that, that same question and what you risk? do as well yeah i think now Tesla has become much lower risk. I never say anything is no risk. Everything has some inherent risk. 
Um, there always something could happen. You know, I'm always looking over my shoulder. That, that, that's how I am, especially with investing, especially when you're dealing with, you know, significant amount of money. You always have to be looking what's around the corner because, you know, it's going to come out of left field and you're not going to see it. So you always want to be watching it. But I think the business where it is now, the difference between Tesla and like, say something that Xander said, Palantir. I know like the, there's a big YouTube community, a lot of YouTubers, they love Palantir. But if you look at Palantir over the last few quarters, every quarter they're disappointing. Their growth is slowing. And remember what we said, when you're a growth company and your growth is slowing, you're dead. And the stock price has come down. It tried to rally a little bit back down because the earnings is just slowing, right? The growth is slowing. Their sales is slowing. Where Tesla, it's the opposite. And this is why I think the opportunity is great right now. You have Tesla every quarter accelerating earnings, growth accelerating with a decelerating stock price. So just simple math, you know, it's going, it's going opposite what it should. Again, this will correct. And when it corrects, you want to be sitting there waiting for that correction. So there's a lot of growth stocks that, they're called a growth stock, but but Tesla's actually delivering quarter after quarter after quarter. And I think three and four is going to be the same. And, you know, they're going to get credit soon and it's coming and you just have to be patient and frustrating. I know, Herbert, you want it to be to the moon tomorrow, but this is investing. <laughs> a lot of investing is very boring, very dry. Some of it's yeah. exciting. You know, we've had some exciting times after COVID, but a lot of investing is just being patient, keeping that, you know, mindset, grind it out. Every day it could be red, but you just keep, you know, adding where you can uh, keep calm and uh, you'll be rewarded in the end. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So that obviously I like to do trick questions and I did another one with you <laughs> from my perspective. So risk is obviously balanced with the gain, right? The potential opportunity against the risk, right? If it's a really high risk, you're expecting to, it's high risk and you're willing to accept it if there's a huge potential gain, if it works out. I think it's low risk today because there's no chance for very little chance for Tesla to go bankrupt anymore. I started investing in Tesla in 2012 and I kept investing in it in 2018 when that was the highest risk. I think it was 2008 and 2018, Elon would say, where the company basically was in the brink of bankruptcy and they pulled through miraculously. But I invested in it when it was high risk chance for this company to fail and all your money's gone but the potential gain was massive right because were you a hundred percent then no. Oh, no no right see okay that, that yeah. makes sense i was 50 50 because i was slowly moving my money away from apple mm -hmm. into tesla we love apple because of the dividends i mean i was like cash flow flowing in you know and so to make a decision to move from apple to tesla was the loss of actual free cash coming in <laughs> Uh, but the gain in my mind. So, you know, that's, that's what I just did. But, um, but now there's really low risk in the sense that the company's not going to go down for the car market. And uh, yeah, so I'm going to invite um, Jeffrey Lutz to join us. Hello, Jeffrey. Can you uh, unmute hey, yourself Jeff. on um, hey Twitter Everyone. spaces? Yeah. Can you hear me okay? Yes, yeah. there you are. Hey, Jeff, how are you doing? Good. We got the audio working? I yeah. think so. Thank you very much for joining. He is our guest bull. Uh, he has been participating in our Twitter spaces quite regularly. And I asked him to join because he, he brings a lot of gravitas to our conversation <laughs> from my perspective. I don't know if that's possible. <laughs> 
I mean, so we'll go through your background a little bit, but you're a supply chain expert. You've been in manufacturing. You you mentioned last week that you were the person that helped uh, launch the Motorola Razor uh, at the time, the cell phone. But um, yeah, so what's your what's your thought? First of all, for all new bulls that we're going to have to join us in the ring, we are going to need to understand your investment philosophy, and we need to name you. We're going to name you. <laughs> we get to decide what name we give you, but uh, you can tell us what you think you should be called. So, what kind of what's your investment philosophy? I, I would say, I mean, I'm pretty high risk from an investment perspective. <laughs> yes. um, so, I I like to let it rip a bit. I mean, definitely measured, definitely do a lot of research. Uh, and I'm, and I also think long-term. So I, you know, I've been invested in Tesla since 2013, uh, when I first, uh, test drove the car. So, um, just, uh, yeah, very long-term, but also I would say on the higher risk side. What would you call yourself? What kind of bull are you? I don't know. I haven't thought through different bull names. I'll have to come back. I don't have expletives in front of them, but I'll I'll come back and uh, and think are you, through that. Are you crazier than I am, though? Like, are you like, uh, are you more convicted in this? And you, are you all in? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm definitely, I'm definitely highly invested. So, um, whatever that, whatever that means, I'm. I'm definitely highly invested. Jeff, do you trim your position um, or are yeah, you occasionally? Uh, yeah, okay. occasionally. So, definitely, you know, definitely looking, you know, for major run-ups, but, uh, but yeah. Um, I mean, I, 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 I like the, I like the overall direction right now. I think a lot of de-risking has occurred and just a lot of milestones have passed. Is there risk in the future? Yeah. Um, there's, there's significant risk um, in, in, in a number of areas, but, there's more gains that are occurring. And as this, you know, EV tax credit is eventually sorted out, I don't think there will be product taking credit, quite frankly, early next year, uh, based on how this is written. Um, but as that's sorted out, I think Tesla is in the best position, actually, um, to gain from it. Um, but it's going to take a while, I think, to sort, to sort this out. But between that, I mean, they've got demand as far as the eye can see. They don't need um, the credit. Um, so I think from a demand perspective and just the construction of their supply chain has always intrigued me, you know, from day one, they've been highly vertically integrated. And, you know, when you, when you reduce that network latency in your supply chain, you're, you're generating cash, you're building cash and you're solving, you're preventing problems from occurring that the others, you know, that the others were hit pretty hard during COVID and, and during some of these other supply shocks. So, um, I think they're really set up well for success, but I'm also recognizing that there's risks always with any company, any product. Can you explain what you know about the Inflation Reduction Act that was passed on Sunday? Yeah, yeah, yeah this passed um, the Senate. So it's, got, it's passed the Senate over the weekend on August 7th. It's supposed to go to the House on Friday and then probably to the president's desk, you know, a couple, a day or two after that could be signed on the weekend, could be signed next week. It's, it's expected to be signed. Um, you know, the congressional budget office is, you know, a, it's a budget office that's nonpartisan that does an analysis of the bill. And they're, they're looking at roughly $300 billion deficit reduction over 10 years. It's not a lot. And there's a lot of things I think that could sway that in one direction uh, or the other. 
Um, but they calculated a less than 0.1% reduction in inflation over the next two years. Wait, reduction in inflation? Uh, less than 0.1%. So when you heard Christian talking about 8.7%, you know, you know, 9%, this is a less than 0.1% reduction in inflation over the next two years. For their so what? So like to me, this is like an oxymoron, right? Like <laughs> you're 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 spending money to reduce inflation, and now you're and you're educating me here. So you're saying that there's not going to be an impact to inflation by spending all of this money. It's, it's not me. I'm looking at the Congressional Budget Office. I'm looking at the analysis of this bill. And this bill text is still being analyzed. It's 755 pages, but you know from the analysis you know put out so far. It's very minimal. And usually with bills, it's from any administration, by the way, like usually if you look at the name of the bill, there's something behind the name, you know, that bill, like the opposite could be going on somewhere else. <laughs> and uh, so when you see the Inflation Reduction Act bill, you're, uh, you know, your ear should go up. I mean, the, 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 one, of the, one of the concerns with Build Back Better was, hey, we can't do more spending through all this money in the economy right. and just in, ignite inflation. And I think the spending in this bill occurs over a number of years. It's not like there's this massive shock of cash going out like tomorrow. Um, so I think from that perspective, it's pretty measured, but I, I don't see how it's reducing inflation. As you, then you get down to our topic, which is EVs and, and Tesla. I mean, that's a supply constrained industry. And the worst thing you can do in a supply constrained environment. It, exactly. That is that has more demand than supply is to inject you know, free money into it, that's not going to actually solve any problems. What's going to happen is, is all the OEMs that build cars are going to increase their prices. Yeah, I can just comment on, yeah, I, I just want to comment real quick. And, and this is a little political, but it's not going to be too, not, nothing too crazy, Herbert. So the Democrat, you know, midterms are coming up. They want to get something done. They couldn't get Build Back Better done. So they renamed it, essentially. Now, I'm sure I haven't read it line by line. They renamed it Inflation Reduction Act, because what's the big problem? Inflation. So it looks like the Democrats are doing something on inflation. That's how cynical I am about politics on both sides. So this is for both sides. So they renamed it, essentially. I'm sure there's some things that are different. And they want to get it passed so they could run on something for the midterms. That's my cynical view of it. That's how politics works. And you're right. I don't think much inflation reduction is going to come out of this bill. If anything, there's probably when we get done, there's going to be more spending than we think. So long term, long term. So um, I think it's it's more political theater than, uh, you know, and it looks like they're doing something on climate change. But the funny thing is, and, and as we see the bill, how, you know, how many EVs are going to actually be used next year that can claim the credit? I'm seeing reports like almost none, you know, maybe 11,000. So it's defeating the whole purpose of what it's trying to promote. By, you know, making the battery so small that, you know, uh, a hybrid could qualify like a seven kilowatt battery. So so these are the things that, you know, that's what drives me crazy about politics and politicians. It's and a lot of it's for show and it really doesn't, you know, long term help the people. It just kind of greases the palms of the a political elite. That's just my little cynical take, but I'll give it over to you, Herbert. <laughs> uh, I have to Agreed. tone it down. I was told to tone it down. So <laughs> I was going to go a little bit after you, but that's okay. Let's go. Stoic bull, but you're very emotional. <laughs> Not very stoic. Uh, when, it comes no, to, but, when it comes to politics, my blood pressure goes through the roof. But, but seriously, though, like, he, he, why does, you know, why do EVs need, um, 
gasoline poured on the on the fire, right? Like there's no, they're already supply constrained. You Tesla can't keep up. Um, it, you, you see Ford and GGM, they're 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 not making cars. Like like how many Lightnings did they did they sell? How how many? Um, yeah. Their supply you know, chains so, need to, yeah, they need to they need to form their supply chains and they haven't so, fully formed them yet. Right. So how does how does uh, incentivizing people to buy EVs and then apparently uh, um, I was learning that it's uh, really small hybrids can qualify, um, you know, as as well. And how does that help uh, the industry or uh, you know inflation? It doesn't. It you're in, you're asking you're asking people to spend more money. So. I don't. I don't see how uh, you're, you're incentivizing. It, help. spending, it, it right? helps. It helps legacy auto who sells hybrids survive. Mm. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it really it's helps. Nice. Yeah. helps that yeah. transition. Okay. It helps that transition. And then when you look at the the mineral requirements, I'm I'm reading that um, forty percent of the minerals need to be mined and processed in 2023 or four. Um, Twenty three. You know, stateside or or with a trading partner that is you know, one, in one of our free trade agreements, which right now we get, you know, the major mineral producers and miners are on the good side are Australia and Chile, which we can do trade with. Um, also Canada. Have, in Canada, but then you have, you have, you know, Russia, China, DRC, which we don't have those agreements with. And then this is supposed to ramp up into 2027, up to 80% of the minerals. So I think it's the right message in terms of like, Hey, we I want you know, we want the engine we want the the engines that basically power EVs. We want that energy to actually be sourced, you know, in, inside of our kind of our trading ring, and, and preferably from the U.S. The question is, is like, how long is that going to take? Um, and is there a way to you know ramp up into that in a, in a little bit different way? So I doubt the house is going to make any changes, but I'm there's a significant amount of noise on that. Um, and there's also things in this bill around, you know, extending oil drilling and gas leases, new gas leases. So there was a little bit of something for everybody The you know, the senator from West Virginia is not <laughs> going to be the one carrying the football on this bill if it's pure, just clean energy and inflation reduction. You, you know, they want to get oil. They want to they want to get these leases renewed. So. So let's talk. Let's go back to Tesla. Is this so far looking good for Tesla? Kind of like a neutral or is it bad for tesla what do you guys all think i'll jump in real quick i think net it, it's a positive for tesla um the model y qualifies it was uh the cap for the suv was eighty thousand. um so i think a lot of that the source so like you said australia uh canada got a lot of nickel i think that's why he's talking maybe a canada gigafactory because it'll help mm -hmm. do that and i think just the genius of elon and the tesla team will find a way to make sure that they can source or, or do this and things of that nature. And just remember with these bills, there's a lot of times that these bills are so intricately written. You know, sometimes there's a wink and a nod and, you know, 40% source, you know, how, what does that really mean? If it comes in from a certain area, like you can kind of wiggle sometimes and get away because this is going to look really foolish if in two years they passed a, you know, EV, you know, credit, and not one EV is ever going <laughs> to receive the credit, right? This is going to look like kind of so. I, of course, they can make some adjustments and do that. So I think Tesla is going to benefit very well with this. Is it going to take a little bit of you know if they got to drop the you know the Model Three price down to under fifty five thousand because on, on on regular car sedans that's the limit. 
But I think for the most part, this is a really good build for Tesla. And they also have some solar stuff in there and wind, which is good for Tesla. So I think net net, Tesla's a winner in this, even though, you know, that might not be the goal for for for, for Biden and, and the Democrats. I think net net Tesla will win and do very well from this. Mm -hmm. Jeffrey, you know, I. I agree with most of those points. Um, I definitely on the energy side, I see this as a benefit, um, solar and energy on the car side, on the auto side, you know, they have a, you know, this, this really helps close the gap. Well, it helps a little bit. It helps the, you know, it helps their competitors actually become a little bit more profitable and allows them to build cars in Mexico at those labor rates and bring them into North America as well. So there's some puts and takes, I would say. Um, I would say Tesla didn't need it, but it won't hurt. Um, but on the competition side, it's definitely going to help them. Good. And what do we use, Ender? Um, you know, I'm, I'm really learning about uh, the, the bill and uh, trying to understand, uh, like you were mentioning, the, or Jeff was mentioning, the 40%. Um, so trying to figure out uh, if, if, if it's good or bad, ultimately, I think that Tesla doesn't need any help. Uh, Tesla customers don't need any help. Uh, you, you know, you, you will open up, uh, the, I guess, the floodgates again. But, but this is where it's contradictory to, uh, <laughs> to you don't have enough supply. So why are we trying to, um, you know, discount uh, something that, that is, has naturally had to go up? Uh, because you're trying to slow demand. Can you imagine if if uh, if the prices were if we had that forty thousand dollar car or that uh, you know th th thirty five thousand dollar car? It's just yeah. So I, I think until the supply chain and then catches up, I don't I don't like I don't like government um, being involved with uh, a free market. I, and I guess sure. that. Well, everything you, everybody said, I absolutely agree with, uh, you know, everything you guys all said. At the end of the day, though, right, this bill basically solidifies the movement of electric vehicle adoption. It is happening, and it's going to be accelerated significantly. I think we all agree that this bill and just the, the, the concept that every OEM is now going to be motivated and incented to do this. And so Tesla is going to be the one that's going to mostly benefit from this. I, I think that's... You know, that's the best thing that can have possibly happen for all of us. What I'm curious to see what's going to happen is how Tesla specifically, but all the others will maneuver and change their strategy in terms of what they're offering to the market. Does this now force Tesla or maybe to their benefit, come up with a lower priced variant of some car? Does it, you know, reduce the prices? They'll try to reduce the prices and add on extra add-ons later uh, to be able to, you know, Right. I mean, some people were saying that you can just buy the car without with the lowest version of the tire <laughs> and then add the new tire later or something like that. Right. I mean, curious what will happen there. Well, uh, give you a good, a good example. In order to meet the requirement, let's say the battery sourcing and the and the cells and all that, um, you know, say you're going to buy FSD, which costs twelve thousand dollars now and you got a performance or whatever. What they could possibly do is the easy workaround is get to buy the car for MSMRP to meet under the limit, get the credit, and then you get the over-the-air software update after you purchase the car, and then you could either do the subscription or the twelve thousand. So that is a clean, easy way. And there's another thing about um, 
in the bill, it, it talked about dealerships and people yes. were saying, oh, it, it, it's for the dealer. It's not. It's basically the way it's written. A dealer is anyone who sells cars and Tesla meets that definition. They right. definitely sell cars. So, so a lot of the bill was being, you know, trying to be interpreted as unfriendly to Tesla. And I've listened to a lot of smart people on it and I've done my own research, not, not, you know, great, great research, but I've kind of delved into a little bit. And to me, it does not look like it's an anti-Tesla bill in any way. I think Tesla will long-term benefit from this over time. Yeah. I think Tesla's best position, you know, in terms of software control of the car to turn things on and off do it at different times. So I think they're, they're in a really good position. A lot of their competitors are still doing cable upgrades uh, for many, many uh, components in the car. So um, I think they're in the best position for that. Um, the one of the things I do get a little bit concerned about, I know uh, Elon was mentioning that he's seen commodity prices starting to roll over and he's, He's got visibility. He's got visibility in multiple geographies as well. Um, the only thing I get concerned about when I look at it is, is the reason those commodities are rolling over is because of a pending recession and then demand destruction as a result of that rates going up or, you know, are they, are they really rolling over because the supply chain kinks are being fixed and, you know, materials flowing and there's no more hiccups from a supply chain perspective. So I get a little bit worried that there may be, we may see a little bit of a dip and then a little bit, a little bit of a, a rising. And that's going to be hard to control and manage from a company perspective. But as it relates to this tax credit or as this point of sale credit, you know, I think it's just, it's going to spur adopt, further adoption. I mean, people are going to hear about this. They're going to know about it. And uh, the fact that it's point of sale makes it really convenient uh, for, for folks. You know, in the early days of, of Tesla, you know, it was a, it was a tax credit, you know, you had to do the following year. Yeah. So just to understand what Elon said, though, right, he said that in a, an annual general meeting when he did a speech, it sounded like he was very confident about the supply chain, uh, their control for supply chain for Tesla specifically. And then recently he also talked about that he thinks that a recession is a mild recession that's going to be for 18 months. Mm-hmm. So I'm not as worried as you are, Jeff. <laughs> I, trust, I trust Elon. <laughs> Remember when he called the friggin' recession? He called it? He called yeah. it Yeah, but he, he it... called it kind of more for 2023. It's kind no. of already happened. No, well, no, he no, said, no, no, no. He said summer. Yeah, summer oh, 22. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. June 2022. Don't listen called... to Elon. <laughs> I mean, listen to Elon. <laughs> it was at the height of the boom. And we're all excited. Then he said something that I was upset. And he turns out to be correct. I. I, you know, I mean, there's, there's way more to do it than just uh, him making guesses. His gut is really good. And just to just point real quick, I think there is demand destruction, but I think it's demand destruction for legacy OEMs because their sales are down, you know, year over year, 30%, 40%. Tesla is the only one that doesn't have demand destruction. And, and, and they got Porsche. your weight line. Yeah, Porsche, right, Porsche right. made like well, one or Tycon, 2%. But they don't sell many. That's the problem. <laughs> How many people are buying Porsche Taycons? The Model 3 and Y are mass produced vehicles that people want to get their hands on like i love the tycon i love the look but you know it's not a mass market vehicle no one you know it's like you know it's not going to sell you know like 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 a model y or a model three so you know these niche competitors i see reports you know that the i pace they're like selling like 10 units a a year you know they're getting rid (coughs) of 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 units it's a joke really it's really the competition coming that shano's used to talk about you know when he was short tesla in 2019 it's an absolute joke. You would talk about the Audi e-tron, the, the Jaguar I-Pace. That's all these fun. things have been complete flops. 
And the only true leader in, in automotive is Tesla. And I believe, you know, in the next couple of years, they'll be, they possibly could be the number one manufacturer in the world of autos in the next, you know, three to five years. I, I think that's definitely possible. They have to hit over 10 million per year, correct? They have to beat Toyota. Uh, yeah, Toyota. Well, yeah, but you got to remember, Tesla has to hit 10 million. But guess what? Toyota sales have been tanking. Mm. Toyota might go to 8 million. It might go to 7 million. It might go to mm -hmm. 5 million. Mm. Nobody wants their cars. And they're having a t hell of a time making any EVs of, of any of scale or, you know, do they even want to? So, you know, it's not just Tesla going up. It's these people coming down. I don't think mm. they're going to be selling 10 million vehicles in, in three to five years. I think they're lucky if they're selling half unless they get their, their act together quick. Just my opinion. Or the wheels will <laughs> fall off. Were you okay. going to say act or something else? Okay. <clears throat> yeah, yeah I mean, so. you, guys, you guys heard uh, uh, today uh, that California, number one and two for the first half yeah, of the yes. year, yeah. is Model Y and Model 3. So Elon's prophecy of... Uh, uh, Model Y by revenue this year is, uh, as he reiterated, uh, uh, is is going to look looks like it's going to come true in the next yeah. year by volume. So, and that's um, against all cars, not just EVs. all cars, right? Yeah. All right. Cars. So, right. And, and, yeah. And then California is such a huge market that uh, in, you know if if right they call it the California Camry. I just learned that recently. You know, for a reason, and it's uh, it really is. Uh, it's it's really becoming a thing. It's true. I mean, look at it. Like Honda, like they're 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 doing it. And Elon's he's quite the prognosticator. We're gonna have to call him, you know, some something that rhymes with Nostradamus. But but essentially, what, how California goes, usually the rest of the country catches up. You know, three to five years later. So you know, California. Even though I'm not from California, they usually set the trend, and it's it's happening, right? I think Texas is the next big place. Having the factory there, the demands for Teslas in Texas are going to go through the roof. And as many people that live in Texas, my, the demand and the easy of access to get those cars into Texas, it's just going to be like California. And I think Texas is going to be the new California for Tesla. And I think, you know, we know this, but that was the greatest move, not only because of the state income taxes and all the other thing, making the headquarters there, that move might go down as one of the great moves ever to, to, to do that, make Texas the focal point of, of your automotive business. Can you, if you're going to make a statement like that, can you back it up with a few more statements, please? <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, Texas is like, when Why? you think about it, yeah, the, the Model Y will be, like, like Xander was saying, revenue and units, it's going to happen. And um, yeah, but you said Texas. What's the why the move to Texas is the greatest well, move in the automotive history? <laughs> well, there's a couple of reasons. But here's okay. why: Texas is a huge state, right? It's it, I don't know. It's number one or two or three in, in in people. Texas is very business friendly. Elon was got that factory down and up. It's probably the biggest factory in the world, if not one of the biggest. I'm not 100 percent sure. And he said that it would take you know the same amount of time just to get the permit in California. So if you want to get things going and you want to scale, you need it. And Texas is going to be very business friendly. So if that he, he's done that and that's successful, who's to say he doesn't do something right next to it and keeps using Texas as a great, you know, that governor, Governor Abbott's very business friendly. And Elon doesn't have to, like, jump through hoops to get stuff done there. He can kind of say it, you know, of course, there's regulation, but he can get the things done he wants. So when I say it's the greatest move, it would have been a terrible move if he, you know, if he put it in like, you know, 
uh, say where you're from, Seattle. I'm sure you had a hard time putting a factory in Seattle. So Do not it, put it a was an obvious yet. move. Yeah, it was an yeah. obvious move, Texas. But even if it's obvious, it was a genius move, and the factory's beautiful, and he got it up and going, and yeah. and they're starting to scale it up. So I, I you know, I think it was just a plus. Yeah, right. they have room to expand in Texas, and they really yeah. didn't have the room to expand in Fremont. The permitting, the timing. I mean, th those are all big reasons to, to go and, and to build in a, in a state like that. Well, my understanding is that they did the uh, tents because they couldn't get permits to build the buildings <clears> for <throat> the Model 3. So, um, yeah. you know, to be, to, yeah, in California, to be fair, like Elon recently said, uh, you know, that he loves California. They just outgrew it and then it takes way too long to get anything done. So, um, you know, it, it's, uh, they, they just need to scale. And how do you do that in, uh, in, in a state that, that stifles it? Unfortunately, so Omar was just at the uh, the Gigafactory in Texas, part of the annual general meeting, the stockholder meeting, and he said that it was full of cars. It was full compared to what it was uh, in April when we were all there. There's just so many cars being produced at this point. So, Jeffrey, when do you expect that Texas is going to be in mass production or high volume production, whatever terms we're going to use? Uh, sounded to me that Elon was pretty confident that we will get to, what is it, the 2 million run rate by December. Mm -hmm. And so that means that he's, he's solved 4680, or not solved, but it's all <clears> delayed. <throat> we know it's delayed, but he said it's not about the 4680. It's about just production of cars, and it looks like it's moving along better than it was. Yeah, the, the, approach of, yeah the approach of ramping an existing qualified product line in a new facility is always a great thing to do. So Model Y known, ramped in Fremont, uh, ramped in Shanghai. <clears throat> now you have a new facility, new people. They're bringing the 2170 version of that car. They're building it now. Um, that That is a great move, both for supply and to just bring up a new facility. Just everything you have to do from material order flow in through product out, it's good to do it on a, on a, on a, on a known platform because a lot of times you're bringing up a new factory and you're bringing up a new, a new process, and that's very difficult. Uh, to do so, I think they'll be, you know, I think they're going to, you know, they're going to get the 4680 ramped up by the, you know, by the end of the year. Question is, is it going to be sufficient quantities for the run rate needed in 2023? I think that's the question that needs to be answered. But I was very excited to see the 2 million unit run rate by the end of the year. Again, discussed on the earnings call in July and then reiterated, you know, three or so weeks later <clears throat> on the AGM meeting. And again, a lot of things were reaffirmed in that meeting that were, I mean, mm -hmm. extremely exciting. It, it means that they've got a really good view in supply and demand yeah. um, for, for their for their products and their company. So, I mean, that's if you're an investor, that's great news. And, and just to be, a, I, I love Tesla management, but I think this is one little point where they they thought they could try to get away with something, but it didn't quite happen. I think the reason uh, Austin, especially, is started out really slow is because I think they thought 4680 would be ready and it wasn't quite ready. I Correct. think if they would have just started out with 2170 and said, you know what, we'll, we'll work on 4680 from, you know, from the, from the California facility, we'll, we'll, we'll get them in and we'll start training them. But we got 2170 ready to go right off the bat. I think we would have seen a, 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 a faster start to the, to the production, but you know, they tried it, but now they got the 2170. So I think slowly into the end of the year, we're going to start ramping here. But I, I think that was a slight miscalculation that, you know, if it would have worked, it would have been great, but it quite didn't, you know, 
pan out the way they thought, but they'll get, they'll get there. So I've heard that August this month is going to be the highest, you know, Tesla's going to break records for how many cars they can produce in a monthly basis. Are we going to see record numbers every single month, basically? Uh, yeah, especially is, is the, the five-week months. Yeah, especially the five-week uh, months. And if you think about it, they were, they were doing upgrades in multiple facilities. So when you're doing those upgrades, yeah. you're, you're, if, you know, they're, they're, I'm assuming they're not shutting off their, their, in, their inbound suppliers and they're keeping, they're running. So they're building up, you know, inbound supply. So that's going to really help. Um, so not only you're going to have expanded facilities, but you're going to not have material uh, disruptions. Yeah, just Jeff point in Shanghai, they're now they're going to be hitting on all cylinders because the Y line was down <clears> that that came up. The three line was down. Now that's up. So now that's why Xander was saying earlier, possibly, you know, 80,000, maybe, you know, 90,000 in the, in the, in the upcoming months is because now they've retooled it and now they can produce more than they were before. So there was some downtime. That's why this month's number didn't look as great, but, but now they really can kind of kick it into to the end of the year and kind of put those numbers up. Have they added the third shift? I'm not sure about that. What I know is I believe the three is cranking and the Y has been cranking, but they were both down for, for significant pain, you know, a couple of weeks, you know, so it's now they're, it's all systems go. We know Fremont, according to Elon is killing it. So they must be putting record cars out every, every, uh, every day. So yeah, good stuff. Okay. Let's switch to a new segment uh, that I called this the matador. And so who's the matador? It's Elon. It's Elon. <laughs> So let's talk about Elon. And the question I got for you guys is, you know, how much do you think that Elon actually affects a stock? Um, I did an analysis of all his tweets for the last several years. And surprisingly, people think that they affect the stock movement. Uh, and it really doesn't. Uh, or as, as uh, Christian's been saying, <clears throat> it's always earnings. We all know this. <laughs> earnings. Every quarter, that's the one that shows not only a massive jump, but typically a sustained rise. Um, and it's just obviously because Tesla's been growing, and so it's always been a rise instead of a fall. But, you know, Elon's impact. However, we know that he's been doing the Twitter overhang. So what do you guys think? Is this Twitter overhang really real? And is that the one that's absolutely depressing the stock? Or is it that we're just using that as an excuse? So let me comment real fast on this. Elon's tweets does move the stock. <laughs> I've been witness to that. <laughs> Not every tweet. A day. Like, I'm going to sell my stock. Uh, let's take a poll on it. If we know he's going to sell that, that's the stock's going down. The sure. stock's too high. And that day, it went down. So his tweets can move markets. The 420 tweet, like, <clears> no. <throat> his tweets can move the market in the short term. Now, over the long term, it's going to be less of an impact. But in the short term, his tweets, especially if they're more direct, they can definitely move the market. So... Um, that's just my opinion, but, uh, Xander. <laughs> yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, you know, chairs are over, are, are <laughs> underrated, right? Um, so, uh, he, he really, you know, I think it's little things that he says. So like in the earnings call saying, um, when you see a dip, it's a buying opportunity. That to me is just, it's, it's, you know, it talks about the psychology of it, but it's just, it's a, uh, without you know, giving away 
or saying something that the SEC won't like. It's just a great way to to uh, communicate to your shareholders that uh, you know now is not the time to be fearful. Um, and uh, to, to your second question, uh, Herbert, uh, whether the Twitter is an overhang, it really is, right? Because if you if you're worried that in the short term uh, there will be a pressure, uh, sales pressure uh, from from shareholders, especially insiders, you uh, you know the the, the Money guys, the big money guys, they're going to sit on the sidelines, and they're 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 not willing to take that risk. While you and I don't don't care, we're we're going long, and and uh, we don't care, you know at least I don't care if I get it at eight fifty or a thousand. Um, so so I think that uh, it it does have an impact. So uh, Gary Black is great at uh, getting a gauge on whether uh, the the big guys are are starting to move in. Yeah, just I think it just, it's also good to zoom out. I mean, you know, pre-split, this is a what a four thousand two hundred and fifty dollars stock. Um, and when you zoom out, and you're like, well, what's? I mean, you say like, what's Elon's impact on the stock price? It's going from thirty dollars a share or so <laughs> 4, to ten years later to four thousand dollars. So <laughs> I think the tr- I think we're in an uptrend. That's what the data says. <laughs> And I think that's a, that's important to understand. But if you're looking at it day in and day out, sure, his comments and movements, the the podcast he's on, the things he say, it will in, it'll it will affect it. But you have to look at. I mean, to me, it's like what are the actions in the background? The actions in the background are there's this accumulation of activities happening that are putting the company in a, in a fantastic position. Um, so this. The, the other question on the Twitter overhang, it's, it's, it's an issue, right? If you look at the timing of what's, it's a, it's a near-term issue. Um, you look at the timing. So October is going to be Q3 earnings. Um, you know, first week of October, they'll get the delivery report. It should be really good. Um, and then that's also the same month, I guess, the, um, the hearing is scheduled um, for this. So I think there can be some noise in the system uh, for sure. Uh, maybe it gets, settled or dealt with before that, that would also be good. Uh, and I've seen different estimates on the total number of shares involved. If it's really 7 million shares, that's you know less than a quarter, I think of a day's trading volume. So if it's handled differently and it's not drip dripped, you know, over 20 days, maybe, maybe it can be handled differently this time um, or, or maybe not at all. So we don't know, we don't know how this is going to happen. That's why it's called an overhang. But I think if you're, you know, again, long-term, I say long term, I mean, even just a year to three years, there's just so many good things happening with the company that, you know, you just have to deal with and look at these near term risks. It's kind of a, it's a result of like, you know, how the company is being managed. So you're going to have near term risk based on, based on if they were careful and not investing for the future and not making the big decisions, uh, I don't think we'd be in this position. Okay. So tomorrow there's a settlement. And he has to buy Twitter, but instead of $54, it's at $44, something like that. What happens to the stock? So it'll, it'll probably be up because you take the, yeah. well, let me, let me give you some background. Why it would be up <laughs> uncertainty is removed because the deal's done. Um, we have a price, so that would go to the side. And then the fundamentals take, um, you know, like, like Jeffrey was saying, center stage, how much, I mean, that's hard to predict, but I would say probably about 5 to 10%, 5 wow. to guess, 5 to 10%. So that's your overhang. Like that. You think it's 5 to 10%, huh? 
Well, the overhang's been going. I think it's already weighed on the stock. But I, my, my prediction is the Q3 and Q4 records that are coming will trump Dude. any short-term sure. Twitter news. So I, like, th- that is my assumption, that the business, the business strength, the record, you know, we've been over a million times, but this is what I've been pounding the table on. The record revenue, the record earnings, the record margins, the new factories coming up, every, all of that <clears> will trump whether he has to sell a half a day's worth of, of, of Tesla shares to make the deal go through. So that's, that's what uh, kind of Jeff was saying, bigger picture. And even long-term to me, it could be six months, like six months from now, I think all that plays October. through and we're significantly higher. By the end of it was whatever date it was, like mid-October, we're going to know one way or the other, right? Yeah. Yeah. But there's a chance. Trial. Yeah. I, I mean, th- there are possibilities that, um, Right, I imagine that that there could not be a resolution uh, at that time. Isn't is is that a possibility? We we need we need an attorney for this one. But um, but yeah, it's possible that uh, it, it it'll just be lifted and then you have you have a run, right? Uh, but do do you think that uh, that Twitter uh, has th- this much of an impact, uh, Herbert? Since you're, you're asking, the well, question. That, no, that's why I'm asking. I mean, the Twitter overhang, I don't really think it is much of an overhang. But of course, like you said, Gary Black does, and so the analysts seem to think it is. But but Herbert, I think the overhang already happened. It's still it, the, there because it's still going point. on. I yeah, yes, when it first I happened, I think yeah. it was more friend of mine. You know, CNBC's reporting yes. it every day. It was a yeah. big soap opera. I think that soap opera is somewhat muted, and Elon's been more quiet about it and more, yeah. you know. Uh, wise with his words, uh, you know, through these later interviews as we get closer to the trial. So I think the circus that occurred already did most of the damage. And now we're just kind of like, yeah, at the end of it. There really is no more uncertainty if you think about it, right? It's certain which way it's going to go. The worst case scenario is forced to buy at 50 whatever billion dollars. And he has this show to soldier this 8 billion that he's 9 billion still owes. He has to sell 7 million shares. That's the worst case scenario. So you know what I mean? Like once you know that, then it's built in. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> oh God! Yeah, no, okay. you're, you're right. You're right. There. I think yeah. That that's the, the the scenario is you know he has to buy Twitter, and uh, you know he could finance it. It doesn't mean I don't know if he'll be forced to sell shares. He could he could find partners. You know maybe there's some like like there's things probably happen behind the scenes that we we have no idea what's going on that there's maneuvering. But you know Elon. He seems really good. He seems really upbeat. He was great at the meeting. He seems like he's in a jovial mood. He looks great. Yeah. So I don't think any of this stuff's weighing on him. I think he's having fun. And I he's been talking about Tesla more in the business. So, you know, I'm, I'm feeling good about it. Yeah. And, and ultimately, Herbert, it doesn't really – it really won't matter in the – in like you said, Zoom app, three months – or once you get past this, um, if you're if you're not buying Tesla because of um, Elon's, you know, it's a personal thing. Uh, ultimately, when, when you talk about Tesla, you you got to just look at the earnings, right? And this is uh, what what <laughs> investing is: is you're you're looking at the fundamentals of the company. You might have some tiny impact from something that uh, uh, you know is happening uh, in in the in the micro, but macro wise, I don't think any of it. Uh, really, okay. really matters. So I've got another, let's move on to another new section here, which is uh, going back to, is Tesla recession proof? Is it uh, low risk? You know, we saw the stock jump to 10%. We were all excited last week. This is it. We're past it. We got past 900, you know, 
futures bright and we're happy old days again. And then yesterday, this morning, it went fell by 6%. So whiplash. Uh, but what is the lowest possible price that Tesla can absolutely go based on what you know as of today? Last week, uh, Christian, you said, I know for a fact it's not going to go below 550. So I went and started buying a 650. Where did these numbers come from? And given where we're at today, what's the lowest it could fall? I mean, you know, give me a couple scenarios maybe, but if macro yeah. stays the same based on this gyration we're seeing, what, what can happen? So great question. So I can't guarantee anything. I just, you know, stream of consciousness, what I think, what I feel, my valuation mm -hmm. metrics. So I thought we got too cheap in that's in the sixes and, and the forward valuation became compelling knowing what Tesla was going to do. And I thought investors would see that and, and it looks like that paled out. Now, could it come back down? Yes, I have no crystal ball, but I, that's not my scenario. Number one. Uh, number two, you were right initially, Herbert, saying it's going to rock it by the end of the year. And I said <laughs> I was more conservative. I said, no, 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 no. That's right. The, the fundamentals still have to catch up. We had that initial run, like you would right. say, on the Q2 print and the bad news is over. And now we're looking forward. But then I said we would kind of grind into the end of the year, 950 to 100. So we have pulled back. My scenario yeah. is looking a little bit better than yours, Perfect. assuming that, you know, whatever, yes. 1400 by tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> so, no, but um, so I think. The, the low is in, to be very simple. The 620 that we put in was mm -hmm. the, the near-term low or the low maybe forever. The low forever. I think wow. that was the bottom. I think the, the business, <laughs> you know, I can't say 20 years from now, in the next five years. I think that bottom is in. I could be wrong, but I'm positioned that that, that bottom is in. And with a record Q3, 4, and, you know, another 50% growth in, in, in 20, in, you know, in the next year, I just don't see how we get down there. What, what's the mechanism? What's how? What's the valuation? What, what's Tesla going to trade at? Thirty times a company growing, you know, revenue and, and EPS 60, 70, 80 percent. Why would it trade at thirty times? It just doesn't compute to me. So, um, I think the lowest will go right now. Would it be in the eight? I mean, could it dip back in the high sevens just to put a number on it? Sure, but I, I don't think we. I don't even think we. Unless something crazy happens, I don't think we get under eight hundred. Jeffrey. I think you look at macro for just step back for a minute. So we're in this trading range. <clears throat> we got down to 3639 on the S&P, I think on June 16th. And uh, one of the analysts was uh, quoted, uh, they looked at, look, looked at the S&P, I guess, over the last 50 years. And once it's been in bear market territory, you know, minus 20% on the S&P, if it does a 50% retracement, which for the S&P, I think would be 42.31. Um, and it kind of stabilizes at that 42.31 and kind of starts inching above that. It's never retraced and, and tested the low again. So we're not at that 42.31. Um, I think we got in the high 4100s and now we're back at 41.22. So that's an interesting one to watch from a macro perspective because like technically it's it just... I like looking at technicals, but I like looking at fundamentals primary and then didn't see if the technicals kind of check out. So that was an interesting stat on, on the S and P and in retracement. So obviously big, a big, uh, you know, CPI print tomorrow morning should be interesting. You know, it's, I think a lot of this is going to be around the fed movement and the fed movement. They're looking at inflation and they're looking at, um, hiring, they're looking at jobs and that, that jobs print was, if you're trying to see if they're going to lower, 
you know, lower raises, uh, you know, in September, that was not the, the job print you wanted. So I think we need to see CPI tomorrow morning. And, uh, and I think if the Fed can take August off and not have to do anything from an emergency perspective, it gives them time to see another CPI print, another jobs report uh, from August to see, like, see how the economy is. From a Tesla perspective, um, again, they continue to move risk. I kind of look at it from the left to the right. Like the left is like you're moving it behind you. Uh, and the right is there's risk ahead of you. Um, and they, they, you know, they keep knocking off these milestones and continuing. You know, if, they're, if they're really design locked and installing, for example, on, on Cybertruck, they're design locked and doing tooling installs at the end of this quarter. Um, that's a big deal. Um, that means that, that the way that, that that product is produced, the yield projections, you know, they understand it fairly well to be installing line tooling. So that's a big milestone uh, for the company to be able to do that. So I don't, I mean, unless something bizarre happens from a macro perspective, I don't see them retesting those lows. Um, so let, let's, let's see how macro plays out over the next month or two. Well okay. put. So you guys are saying that today's price is a low and it may not go much lower, maybe, you know, depending on what happens, but we should be buying, buying, buying right now. So what I'm saying is I think the 620 that we saw a little bit back ago is the low. Could it go lower? And, you know, could it be? Yes. I'm just saying, and again, this is just my opinion. This is not facts. I'm saying I believe 620 is the low. So if I have spare cash on hand, and and I want to be involved in Tesla. You can't time it perfectly. So if you're getting prices, you know, <clears> at, at twelve twelve forty a few months ago, and now you're getting a price even in the eight hundreds, and you want a dollar cost average in, I don't see why you wouldn't do it. Because if you're just going to sit there and say I don't own Tesla, but I want to own Tesla at you know four hundred or five hundred, I don't think that strategy is going to pay off because I don't think you're going to get that price. The market doesn't care what price you want to pay. Like if you see value in Tesla at eight twenty buy it. If you see value in Tesla at 860, buy it for the long term. If you don't, then don't. But I'm just saying, um, in general, I, I believe the 620 bottoms in and, uh, you know, I'll, I'll stick my neck out and say that. Now, I might look like an idiot in, in, a, in a week or a month <laughs> or a year, but I, I, that's just what I've been saying. And I think uh, we're on to highs going into the end of the year, even with, even with a macro a little shaky, it might not be as strong, but I don't think that we'll get back down there if they can do a record three, a record four, guide for 50% next year. I just, it, you know, as an investor, as a, as a logical person, I just don't see that playing out, like, if, if that happens. And it took a lot to get down there. Uh, you know, it was a, a, yeah. a, a, a multiple events happening at the same time that, that caused that. So, uh, you know, probability-wise, like, what can, what can make the, the stock go down when their earnings continue to, to, to climb. And yeah, they just look, they look great. Awesome. Thank you guys very much. Great show again, as always. So please follow Christian on Twitter at C Valente. Xander Valente 28. Yep. Z Valente 28 at Z for Xander at R6. Alex, you got the stoic bull Christian, the YOLO bull Xander. 
And then what are we going to We still don't Jeff? have a name. <laughs> yeah. I, I think of him like a PhD bull or a professor bull. He's educated. He calls himself a very op, a very future bull, but it's all based on, I got to calculate these we'll, numbers and they all have to- We'll get, come up know. with a name. <laughs> the rational bull. The, the rational bull. Yeah. Well, I, I like, I like all these good names. I want to give people the funny names. So, yeah. I'll take the rational bull. We'll give him the rational bull. He's the rational bull. I'm the forever bull. And thank you guys very much. We'll look forward to you guys next uh, next Tuesday. Thanks, everybody. It was fun. Bye, Bye. guys. Thank you. Bye, guys.